0: is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Joel Bailey of Society's Finest. Hosted by Dan Terry, presented by DiscussMetal.com.
1: What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Discuss Metal Podcast. My name is Dan. I'll be your host for this evening. And I mean, let's be honest, I'm pretty much the host every evening that you're Watching this or listening to this or something, I'm I'm there in some capacity. But uh, you guys don't care about me; you care about our guest tonight, which is Joel Bailey, formerly of Society's Finest. At least I assume formerly of. I isn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> it'll probably always, like always at some point. It'll probably be me and Josh till like we're like ninety years old
1: there you go just keep the friendship forever i mean i'm definitely that way with my co-host him and i make him and i'm you know every every creative project that we do is we've been
0: friends since we were like 17 18 year olds he was the best man at my wedding and stuff like we'll we'll probably literally like we'll probably be those two dudes in the retirement home like you know annoying nurses and stuff there you go
1: hey hey little lady you know i was in a band once several (laughs) bands actually Check this out. yeah check out my sweet licks oh Well, so this this was kind of a fun get together in that, you know, it's got to be weird. I think I even put in the description of this video, I was like, it's always a weird feeling when you're listening to three random dudes on the internet talk about a band that you were in um, and three dudes that, I mean, at least we try to be objective, but, uh, (laughs) you know, sometimes uh, sometimes the episodes lean positive, they lean negative, they lean somewhere right in the middle. It's
0: like I told you, I would much rather it lean more towards the negative. Cause then like, I know someone is like being real and, or, and, you know what I mean? Cause like when people are like blown, like you have so many people blow smoke up your ass like their whole life. And like when someone like, have you ever seen that, that inter that interview with like those kids when, um, Oasis when be here now came out and like all those kids are in line outside of, and they're like, Oh, it's the best. And then there's that one kid he's like, yeah, I don't like it. It's just dad rock more like, the-. and like, yeah. it's hilarious. Cause like all these kids are like, it's the best. And this one kid's like, yeah, nah, it kind
1: of sucks. But sometimes that one kid is just saying that just to be an edgelord or whatever it is, you know?
0: Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, it's, you try definitely have to strike a pretty delicate balance of <laughs> like, I, I don't know, actually listening to what you're doing, yeah. um, listening yeah. to what you're, um, li- li- you know, actually listening. I don't know. It, it's hard to explain. Cause like, I don't consider myself to be this like hardcore music critic. I just listen to songs. And if I'm, if I dig them, I dig them. And I try to explain why, when I can put it into words, but, yeah. you you're ultimately trying to describe something that's indescribable. <laughs> so, that can be that can be kind of rough from time to time, but like I said, we're not here to talk about me and uh, I always kind of start these interviews off kind of the same way, um just getting a little bit of background and uh, I like these to be semi-autobiographical. Um in that uh, I always start off pretty simple with what got you into music, what got you into playing music?
0: Yeah, man. Um what got me into playing music was definitely Guns N' Roses. Um like i was when i was a kid in, in new orleans like uh like i remember i was just part of this like cadre of like fans of like you know metal at that time and like i remember it was metallica and like guns and roses and mötley crüe and I remember uh, going to see Guns N' Roses live and like I just happened to be on like Duff McKagan's side of the stage. Yeah. And like watching not only that, Soundgarden was the opening group. So this is before Bad Motorfinger, and Ben Shepard played on the same side of the stage as Duff McKagan, too. So for like three or four hours, I was exposed to like two phenomenal bass players playing really awesome songs and like literally after that moment i was like i want to play bass i want i didn't want to play guitar i don't want i wanted to play bass in a band and that's that like completely just destroyed
1: my life well i mean i think picking up bass though that's kind of like yeah i can play bass and i can be in any band
0: yeah well the thing is is like so many people that play bass are like they're the the friend that like either like uh was just cool enough to like they they here just learn these songs or it was the guy that wasn't good enough to be the lead guitar player, you know? Like right. very, very rarely is the bass player in a band someone that was like, like, you know, I want to be a bass player. You know what I mean? Cause like most of the times those guys end up being dickheads that are in like in weird jazz things and like, you know,
1: you know what I mean? Like Yeah, like a less claypool, not saying that he's a dick, yeah, but you know what I mean? Right, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. you
0: know what I'm saying? Like they're like the they're the guy that's too good for anywhere else. And it, with me, I always wanted to be like. Like I said, I wanted to be Duff McKagan. I wanted to be Simon Gallup. I wanted to be that dude. You're like, you know, I, I mean, that that was. I wanted to be Peter Hook. Like that was growing up. Like the bass player was like the raddest dude on stage. I don't want to be the guy wanking on the solo and stuff. I want to be the guy holding down the low end that was just like looked awesome. You know?
1: Right. Yeah. That was it. The guy that always looks like he's throwing down. Yeah. You know? And plus, I was tall. Like you can't be tall and be a guitar player. So uh, what was your uh, what was your first band? Okay. So my. <laughs> <laughs> my first band in
0: high school, it was called Alcatraz.
1: Yeah. High school metal band.
0: Of course. Like,
1: Alcatraz. Please tell me you were all like, we're Alcatraz and we are about to rock.
0: We no, we never played a show. It was just, oh, like, okay. we, were just like, we just played in garages and then all of our friends would show up with like, you know, like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like party, um, like party essentials. And like, you know, we would just all be in a garage just hanging out. As like 17 year old kids and stuff. But that was my first band Alcatraz. Nice.
1: Yes. So Alcatraz didn't play any shows. No. Why
0: did we need to? We had
1: garages and
0: like, you know, light beer. True.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the way to go. I mean, (laughs) I I would say probably my first three or four bands didn't go anywhere. um, I think
0: most, most, most people are like that. Like if you're, if you're too ambitious, then you know, like, you need to like you need
1: to work out all those kinks first, yeah. Well, I was a lead singer so and amb- I don't think ambitious is even the right word for it. It's just holishness. One of my mini cats. Oh, so. Okay. <laughs> 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 but yeah. Um I definitely think that uh it's interesting how you get into that garage because I remember I remember being in in a garage with like three of my friends. Um my co-host Joe included, um who actually just left us a comment. Nice. Uh, he uh, I remember he would play guitar and then I had to scream out of this like shitty guitar amp. We just hope we plugged a microphone directly in like no mixer or anything. Just just like straight. in. it was like all feedback, all noise. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah,
0: learning, learning all those uh, the little things. Uh, no, I guess one of the good things about being the bass player, I just had to show up with the bass and an amp and be like, I'll figure all that out. Right. I got my life put together here.
1: Uh, how'd you end up getting uh, getting a hold of or getting in with uh, Josh and uh, Society's Finest?
0: Okay, so that was like a little further down the line, like in my musical air quote career, you know, because like, I'd already been like touring and done a bunch of other stuff. And I remember um, I'd known Josh since I was in high school and just things kind of, we were just like, let's start like, because you gotta remember like in the mid 90s, like late mid to, let's say, you know, mid to late 90s. Like the whole concept of like christian metal slash hardcore slash metalcore slash punk whatever that whole scene really just like exploded, and it was you know you had established um and i don't i don't know who's listening, but whatever like you had established Christian alternative or slash rock record labels that were trying to sign these bands like r e x and things like that, and then you had um you know six feet deep was on r e x you know which is hilarious because like my old band was also it was weird like my old band was uh, label mates with
1: six feet deep which is such a trip to me. What you was know? the old band? Sorry, I, I hate I didn't mean I just I didn't mean to skip no, well, right well, to uh, that was in, like the, the pop band you know, yeah the okay six that's Pents.
0: fine. So like it's weird we were like label mates with like Circle of Dust and like six feet deep and stuff which is so weird right. You know? And then, of course, you know, then tooth and nail, and five minute walk, and of course, you know, like as the '90s went on, you had a bunch more like indie labels sort of jump on the scene. You know, of course, it's hilarious to think now, like we we consider those indie labels when like the the the, the guys that we you know like R.E.X. they're definitely indie. You know, oh yeah, um, totally. you know, by today's standards. Or anyway, so um uh like you know Josh and I we'd known each other for a long time, and after I've kind of been the music for all, we're just like we saw you know like we were fans of the scene. We lived in Dallas, and there was nothing like that at the time. All that we had, we had a couple death metal bands um, that were, you know, were you know fairly popular around here and stuff like that, and they'd gotten some write ups. We had um, my a a good friend of mine, Sean. He was in a band called Godfear. Have you ever heard of them?
1: Sounds familiar. I used to be into all of those bands. I used to have okay, so they were
0: fan freaking tastic. They were basically um, Pantera. Like literally note for note, like the whole thing, they sounded exactly like Pantera, like in a really good way, not a cheesy way. And like, I remember seeing them play live and just being like, you know, just like completely blown. And, like, they would open up for like living sacrifice or, um, uh, who were some of the other bands like back then? Um, uh, Oh man. Uh, die happy. You know what I mean? Like that, that time period. Oh, okay, and yeah. like, they would always open up cause they were, and they were like the band around here and they were fantastic they were just unbelievable because they were so good and of course you know whatever they broke up but like anyway so but the 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 hardcore slash punk slash metalcore thing like my friends and i we've been listening to that you know that you know and we've been kind of brought up in that scene and all of a sudden here's like these you know christian bands that were doing that sound and we're like dude let's do this let's make something happen and so like josh and i just basically literally like we like willed ourselves to have a band we we like i wasn't a guitar player i was a bass player i've always been a bass player i couldn't find a guitar player so it's like i don't care like i'll play guitar and then i taught my friend to play all the songs on bass live
1: that's funny yeah
0: for real like because we were just like i like i we like we're you know you know how everyone is at that age You're like we're, we're we're wasting time burning daylight we got to do this and we just started this band and um as we got better musicians in the band, you know, we kind of grew and stuff like that, but because in the very beginning, it was really just me and Josh and whoever we could con into playing shows with us.
1: Right. Okay. So whenever we were like, yeah, this band is the lineup is whoever showed up. Uh, pretty- literally. You were right. Okay. okay. Like when
0: you said that, I kind of cracked up. because, like, basically, because I mean, like it was so, especially with drummers, we went through probably like 8,000 drummers because <laughs> like, literally like people would just like move and we'd be like, Oh, I guess, you know, freaking dude is gone. And like, so let's get another drummer. And like, we would just like beg, borrow and steal drummers, you know? And it was hilarious.
1: Well, and it's gotta be hard too, because like when, especially when you're in kind of that scene, because um, yeah. I remember from personal experience, as far as the whole, whoever shows up, it's a hard sell when people are like, so what do you guys do? Oh, well we do like, um, we do like hardcore, like metalcore. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, uh, you know, like Christian music.
0: But see, the the thing that sucked about our band, like for me as like, like, you know, as a songwriter slash, you know, like fan of the music, we were a band for so long. And until we got Chad, like Wilburn from, you know, like he was in Mind Rage and stuff. Until we got Chad in the band, every guy who played drums in the band up until that point was a rad dude, usually a friend, someone who really loved the music, but not a single one of them. Without disparaging them as artists or, you know, hardworking individuals, none of them could actually pull off what we were hearing in our heads. Right, sure. None of them could do that. You you know what I mean? I mean, like they were like punk slash rock slash whatever guy. And then when we got Chad on board, all of a sudden we had a guy who was better at his instrument than any of of us were at ours. And that like was exciting because then all of a sudden we're just like, okay, all this stuff we've been trying to write and failing at recording for the last, you know, couple albums and EPs or whatever, all of a sudden it's like, okay, now we can be a a legitimate band. Like we can show up and open up for anyone and like, they're going to, we'll walk on the stage and they'll be like, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Like, you, that feeling of, like, okay, I finally put all the pieces together, and now I can stand back and look at the picture. Well, so, well yeah. dude,
0: I mean, it's like the first time you saw Zayo with Jesse for the first time, you know? Right, yeah. As as a guy in a band, and you saw them play, and you're just like, I just want to go home now.
1: Right. I'm going to go ahead and just quit forever and just become fans of bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or start a podcast. That's what that's what failed musicians <laughs> do. We start podcasts. Those who, those who don't do criticize on the internet. <laughs> um, right, okay. But uh no, that's super. And so, like, that first record, um I think one of the things that. Well, when you say the first record, which one are you talking about? I'm talking about the first record that was nationally released. Okay. Which so would have been. Are you talking about Journey So Far? Pri-
0: okay. So, not Private Conflicts. So, you're talking about the Solid State release?
1: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cause I don't have the one before that. We, we should, okay. So, we had we two talk, before that. We, we should talk the, about the, that. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, we had the Pluto Records, which is um the Private Conflicts and Suicides, which um that was the one, which is cool because actually, Chris. You know, McCadden, he did all the art for that and everything. Yeah. It was so cool. It was a great little EP. We got to record that at Barry's, you know, like as an independent band. It was really fun. And uh, you know, that was a that was a really fun album. Good songs, but like, um, like we we're saying, like, um instrumentally, you know, not the best musicianship. You know, again, like, you know, we had a homeboy on drums and it was I felt real bad too, because like when he went home, like Barry, like he basically just sampled and like just basically replaced everything, like. And this was like early Pro Tools, but he was really right. good, freaking amazing at it. And he did he did the best he could so that we didn't sound bad. But, um, you know, this is like way before quantization
1: and all that jazz. But yeah, he just know, had to we, do it. Did, yeah. yeah
0: he, and, but then even before that, um, are you familiar with the band called My Space Coaster? Like an emo? like John Lamont, he's a fantastic. It's been a
1: long singer. time. But
0: yeah. Yeah. So we actually did a split EP with them. Okay. Um. Even before that, that was when we were kind of still were like, oh, that was... I it's real cringy when I go back and listen to it, but I'm still stoked that I did it, you know, but sure. that was kind of like literally our first thing that we did. And like, I was playing, that was when I was still playing guitar you know, not playing bass.
1: Okay. So, so did that. So were both of those Pluto records. No. So the first one, um, oh, who put out
0: the first one, our friend Jacob, I can't really remember the record label. He kind of did, but yeah, our friend Jacob put that out. And then, um, the second one was a fury 151. Our friend Chris and Pluto kind of split the deal. Um, It was like a joint EP thing, kind of, you know. And then we we got signed to Solid State, and then that was the next, you know, the journey so far. That was when we had, like, a full length, and we were just like, yes, you know. We actually got to have, like, time in the studio, and we got to write an actual record, you know. Unfortunately, like, our friend, uh, my friend Phil, who's a, you know, one of the raddest dudes in the world, he played drums, and he did a great job. But we, like I said, we were really... um, I just think that like a lot of it, we just really expected too much of like just friends and stuff. And like, we we're like, you should be like as good as Dave Lombardo. And, like He's this 19 year old dude from, you know, like, yeah, let me just street.
1: wake up and be yeah. just as good as one of the best drummers out there. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> In
0: sure. your mind though, you're like, why can't you play this? And right. you're like, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, like that was like, that was a fun record. And then but at that time, that was when he met Chad and like, Shortly after that, he came on board, and when we started touring with him, it was rad because all these songs that we had that were good songs, they weren't bad songs. They became really awesome live songs because we would play live. You know, we'd go into it like you know POD or Living Sacrifice or whoever, and like our album was out and people heard the songs. they are like, yeah, it's cool band, and then we play, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like we had two live guitarists, bass, and then we had Chad on drums, who was freaking phenomenal, and people were like, okay like what is this you know because this isn't what we heard on the album right you know? yeah and un- unfortunately we never really got a chance to like that that sound we were able to capture live kind of after journey so far like we were never able to actually record an album with that lineup
1: You know? right well That's was journey up, so far um was journey so far all original material yeah uh, yes. i'm mean, not 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 like not, not like original versus covers or something but i mean just right, like right, right. Or was it like re reuse no, stuff? it was from all world? like
0: one hundred, like literally. We were we were the we were that band that were like always writing stuff. And Josh actually found a videotape the other day, um, oh, not the other day, a little while back, of like you know hour long show, and none of the songs on that show are on e- any of our albums. Oh wow! And I was like, what the? Cr-? And it was basically like a time kind of like in between our EP and then that full length. And a lot of them are really rad songs. I was like, dude, we never recorded any of these. Cause when we got signed to solid state, we basically just kind of like said, okay, we have to step our game up even more,
1: you know? Right. How did that relationship come about with solid state? Oh, it was awesome. Um,
0: like I don't kind of like Brandon and that like kind of scene from, you know, again, being in other bands. Um, and it was weird. Like when I guess the whole connection that, I, you know, wasn't really there. Like, like, you know that my old bands cause this is like pre-internet and social media. So none of that was wrong. And until we did a, 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 a like a cornerstone, uh, like showcase thing and they all kind of came out and, sh- and saw, and I remember like, you know, Tim from focus and like all these guys that I'd sort of known from just, you know, touring in that Christian alternative rock scene. Yeah. Um, they're like, Oh, you're in this band. It's like, yeah. And then like we did the showcase and everybody came and saw it, you know, thankfully like Roy, um, Who's a, a phenomenal freaking dude you know and like brandon and these other guys were you know there because it's cornerstone and just happened to come by the tent because all these bands that we knew um were saying hey you should check these guys out and we played a great show and like literally because of that show and because we really just you know we did it just a really good you know showcase in this little tent at cornerstone they took a chance on us and you know put on an album so that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was really I'm, that can't happen now. That doesn't happen anymore. And like back then that was like, you know, that was a very small period of time where that stuff actually still happened, you know.
1: If that happened now, Brandon would walk up to you and be all like, Great show. How yeah. many Facebook followers do you have? Well yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like oh, one of those yeah. like yeah. Well like, that
0: was that was thankfully like you know, that was still the nineties when it was still like about you know someone in a record label that had not that had um the ability to put out physical music and stuff heard a band or an artist or a singer and saw them perform live. And while they were watching them sort of as a fan of music, they were like, I really, I'm really enjoying this. And I really think kids, if they heard this would buy this and uh, without trying to, you know, like uh, make it a, just a, a, you know, marketing thing, you know what I mean? Like people, I mean the same thing with like, um, you know, with, you know, Oasis playing, you know, King Tut's Wawa Hut, you know? And it's like, I mean, you know, he just happened to be there. Homeboy from Creation was there and like, I want to sign you. And they're like, well, yeah, do you want to do it? And he's like, sure, but I still want, I want to sign you. And that's kind of like what it was with us. It was like, you know, yeah, we'd already had EPs out and stuff. And he just saw us play live. And I think it kind of, you know, with Roy and some of those guys that were at that festival that year happened to see us. And they were just like, okay, these guys, they can do live what you would hope they could do right? You know, because they'd they heard our EP through the scene and stuff. I think when they saw us live, they were like, okay, yeah, this, this, th- we could probably put this band in the studio and get, you know, at what was going on at the time in the scene, like that we can get a, an album out of them that
1: will slot into this vibe that's going on in the scene. Sure. Cause I think, I think at that time, everybody was like real, especially solid state kids. We're like real hard on like Zeo and embodiment oh, and
0: strong arm. Yeah. Well,
1: not embodiment. Yeah. You got to remember embodiment came after us. Like
0: embodiment was around like before us as a death metal band here in Dallas.
1: Well, didn't, in- uh, didn't, they got signed embrace come out in 99 or 98. Huh? Didn't embrace the eternal
0: come out in 98. Wait, which one's that? Is that the one with Sean singing? Or is that the one they are still death metal? That's the one where they're still, well, it's or, not- we'll, well, I'm sorry. That's the one where Chris discovered coalesce. That's Chris. Yeah. This decided so Chris, to sound like Sean Ingram. Yes. It sounds awesome. We got signed, like, at the same time. Okay, okay. But, like, so Embodiment was, like, our local heroes here in, like, Texas. Sure. Like, they were, like, the shit. And they were just death metal, just, like, insanely technical. And then, like, literally, like, about 97 to 98-ish, they, like, Chris had, you know, discovered Coalesce and um, discovered, um, like, Converge and some of these other. Yeah. And basically, he was just, like... Okay, I'm done doing, you know, and like he just basically their music stayed the same. Like they stayed doing like this. T- well, they were not really death metal. They were more like slam, I guess is what you would call it now, right?
1: Sort of, yeah. Because I've got that demo. It's not a demo, but it's a uh, it solid state, and maybe it was solid state. I Any mean, somebody re released it? Like I've got, yeah, the like they have got cassette. like a song called Dismembering Death and like all yeah, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah and and Golgotha, they were like,
0: Have you heard Golgotha? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And they were like <laughs> Dude, super. That was brutal. Like, the best yeah.
0: song in the pit too. Whenever they did that, like. Because I had the breakdowns and everything. Anyway, yeah, they, I guess they'd kind of be considered more slam, like now, like when you go back and you know consider. Definitely, like, yeah. Cats go away. Yeah, there uh, was anyway, just no uh, word
1: for it back then. Yeah.
0: But yeah, yeah, there's just death metal, but I don't know, whatever. But um, yeah, but they uh, they uh, they, they got signed around the same time. Uh, I can't remember if their album came out before or after. I don't know, dude. It's been so long. But yeah, we dude, those guys are like our our best friends and like everything and like i i still like i'm still a huge fan of everything they do you know like i mean you know andy jason like kevin all those guys man like they were some of the raddest musicians and you got to remember these kids started when they're like 14 years old right and some of their most technical crazy stuff came when they were still in high school like when they got out of high school was kind of when they started to be a little bit more
1: air quotes you know commercial when, we want to make then, music that people are going to actually buy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, <laughs> but I mean, dude, Andy, like, dude, that dude, he's played guitar on records that you wouldn't realize too. Like, and I, cause he, he did an album um, with Chase, you know who Chase Pagan is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did. He had to play guitar on Chase Pagan's album and he goes out to LA to Indigo Ranch to, you know, like, uh, to do this album. And like, um, uh, the bass player from Glassjaw is playing bass on it. And Steve Perkins from Jane's Addiction is the drummer. Yeah. And he's like in the studio, like, what i'm really like hearing from he's like yeah so you know who this this guy i'm like i know who that is he's like yeah he's playing bass i'm like what
1: well and i think he also played uh he played in tim Lambesis's band uh the pre-jail uh tim Yeah, he did that
0: death metal project yeah
1: yeah he was in that that was yeah that was crazy well Well, he's doing a new band have you heard andy's new band yeah, yeah well, that's not his new band. He's been doing this for ages. Well, I know, but it's, it's now it's actually starting to get like promotion. And yeah, stuff. He's, yeah, yeah, people
0: are trying to push it. Yeah, like, but dude, um, yeah, that's it's it's come on. I mean, the yeah. dude is he's one of those guys that like, OK, I can't remember the, what's I can't remember that there's actual a name for it. Um, I've heard of it like where people talk about how they see music and shapes and colors instead of hearing it. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Andy's one of those guys. Like I remember when we were young, like he was explaining like how that word, like, and I remember years later listening to like a yeah, you know, like a, um, a NPR pod, like you know, thing, and there, t- and I was like, oh, that's what he talks about because he he doesn't hear sounds, he sees them in shapes and colors. Dude, this guy is like next level yeah he's just a weird cat man he hasn't Uh, he he hasn't made
1: anything that i didn't like even the more even like the more commercial stuff i know i I know i've got like the whole like disgust metal dan and disgust metal podcast all that stuff like (laughs) i like uh narrow scope of things is my favorite embodiment so uh, yeah i i mean i remember when they put that out there there there's so many people
0: that didn't like it and i was just like man fuck you like (laughs) like why are you why are you mad at them are they, they let you down well guess what pussy like I'm sorry that your feelings are so like fucking like you know soft. You like hardcore metal guy with tattoos. Go start your own
1: death metal band and make it the most brutal thing on it's the like, planet. But yeah, but it's like, are your feelings hurt? Like what? Well, yeah, man. They did that to that. They did that to me personally. You know, <laughs> that's our yeah. favorite thing on discography discussion. Is I'm all like, I know they were thinking exactly. What the hell is Dan gonna say about this? Is he is he really?
0: You know, listen. Uh, track seven
1: about three minutes and 50 seconds in,
0: when you do that one turnaround, is he going to understand why we...
1: No. He's going to be all like, uh, it sounds disjointed, and uh, it sounds like everybody had a bunch of ideas, and in order not to hurt somebody's feelings, uh, they went ahead and just went with every idea that came. Uh, dude, I
0: still I, I, still remember, too, because what? So they put out the you Neuroscope know, of Things with Sean, right? And then yeah. they... um, oh man, I can't remember all the dude, but they sound like a demo deal... With the guy who produced, um, like three doors down their big album and like yeah. a couple of things. And I remember they were they were at Dallas Sound Lab for a couple weeks, man. Just well, they were like literally like they were at our we we shared a rehearsal space with them and they were like at this rehearsal space for like a month just writing material with Homeboy. And then they were at um Dallas Sound Lab, which is the place like you know Pantera and like uh Steve Ray Vaughn, all yeah. these people recorded there. Um, they were there for another few weeks, just, I mean, recording dozens and dozens of songs with this guy. um, And then radio silence for like ages. And I'm, it was just, man, it was so weird. Cause I remember like, if I remember correctly, like it was like a time-based thing, like, you know, I want to say, was was it universal? Whatever it was, somebody out there will correct me. Um, But they had like this demo deal and like, it was a certain like, and then as it the, clo- the farther along, like we just kept thinking, all right, well they're going to put out this amazing albums and, and then nothing happened. And we're just like, how can, how can these people at a record label like hear this, you know, this level of musicianship and songwriting, I can understand, like maybe they didn't care for the vocalist or maybe this or that great, but still like figure something out because how can you have guys that are that talented in a room and not put out something, you know, and that was kind of, that was what definitely one of the things with me with like, the you know, the music business sort of thing early on
1: that kind of really made me understand that like these guys, they don't know shit. You know? They don't care. They just care about what they think is going to sell. No, and- they
0: don't even, they don't even care about that, bro. They, 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 they have zero clue. I remember when, like I was in a band of, this was a few years later and we were working with Jeff Hansen management. Um, that's like, uh sr 71 and creed and like all these and we were working with them this is before creed went on break so they still had like money and incentive and stuff and they would tell us when we sat down with like these record executives and they would ask like what we sounded like they would say just just literally just whoever the top two or three artists are on the radio that day just tell them you sound like a really awesome mix of that and it could be like fucking beyonce Linkin Park and like fucking Slayer and tool just say throw it, tool
1: in there. So the brainiacs will get on board with it. Yeah,
0: yeah. But like, you'll say these, these two or three names that this ass hat knows <laughs> and conflates with like record sales and they don't care about what it actually sounds like. They don't know. Right. And I just remember being like in this meeting with these guys, just like, oh wow, Okay. You know, it was just, it was real like, but at the same time, then you start to go through these meetings and stuff and you meet these people and you're like, they don't know. They have zero clue. This is a commodity to them. And once you kind of understand that, it allows kind of you to to separate that business part with the artist part so that you can keep the art still pure. And then the business side, the business shit. You know. 100%,
1: yeah. hundred um, percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. That's, I, and that's a story I hear more often than not, as they say that some of these, some of these industry dudes, they just, they'd rather do nothing than something like bare bare minimum amount bare minimum Dude, amount of work there's a lot the of money. fear
0: too, man. there's a lot of fear and some back again this is the 80s and 90s of back course. whenever there was an and, actual music yeah, until industry about like what like 2010 i guess yeah. you know? um but yeah there was a lot of fear too of like the fear of missing out that felt you know, like you just terrified of like not finding the next big thing so you just sign everyone you know yeah because you can always write them off and just drop them like there's a band out of Dallas called Sugar Bomb that was again supposed to be the next big thing. They had a song on a, a movie soundtrack and also. And here in the Dallas area, we thought they were going to be huge. And then a year goes by. Then two years goes by. And then three years goes by. And then finally, the label the label just had shelved their their debut album instead of putting it out. They just kept pushing it off and pushing it off. And these guys just gave up because they were just so beaten down. And we we're like, you guys are amazing. Like look them up sometime. I'll send you some of them. Like they're. They're really like Beatles esque harmonies, power pop, alt rock stuff. Great band, you know, whatever. Anyway.
1: Yeah, no. I like um it, it's 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 crazy to me the amount of bands too that we've that we've talked to that have been like and then they just held on to our record, never released it. Or, you know. Bro, that happens so much. Yeah. Like so, like so many records. I've got I've got promo copies of records. Yeah, I do. Back when I used to do CD reviews for magazine. So it was like uh, I would get all these promo copies of records, and then they would never release. You remember the Revolution
0: Smile? Did you ever get the the uh, the independent version of that album, like the the one that Sean released, like before they got signed? No. So he actually did that whole album on his own. Okay. Like after he, he, I guess, so he had his audition with Foo Fighters, and like that kind of was like his like whole thing. Like, yeah, I'm gonna do a rock band, and like he did this whole album, and then they got signed to DreamWorks, I believe it was, and so, but instead of just releasing that demo they re-recorded all the same song yeah and i remember like just being like it was a great album but i was like oh that that demo album was so good though
1: yeah there's a nuance to an original recording sometimes that you yeah, can't get the you gotta, they gotta it.
0: put their you know they gotta drop their finger on it you know and their finger their, their fingerprint has to be all over that bitch you know
1: sure yeah and that's how you that's how you can collect on a copyright <laughs> yeah, uh yeah, all yeah. these years later so like if I started blasting a song from a band right now on this stream that then, then they could come in and be all like, yeah, we never even released this, but it's our copyrighted material. So
0: it's like, how is the label going to start putting you in debt? If you don't record an album and owe them for it.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) You may have a great album, but they didn't pay for it. So why are they going to put it out? They want to pay for an album that you owe them for.
1: Right. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so with uh kind of shift back a little bit. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. No, yeah. you're fine. Uh to Society's Finest. Um, so you guys put the record out, uh, the journey so far, and then um it kind of almost seemed like radio silence. Like did the band just kind of disappear after that or
0: Yeah, so that was a lot
1: um okay, listen,
0: like so the thing is is I'm not gonna blame solid state slash tooth and nail for any of our um like not becoming the biggest fucking band in the world. They, right, sure. It's not their fault. Some of it, though, is like I think a lot of kids, especially in the 90s, early 2000s, like you think you get signed to a band li- or to a label like that. and All of a sudden, we're going to be able to just record this awesome album. We're going to be out on tour. you know. Like because you don't understand. Like you still like you may have toured in the van or this and that, but you still don't understand how labels really are working. And you're just like, well, they're just going to put us out on tour. No, they're fucking not. Like that's <laughs> that's not how that shit works. You know what I mean?
1: They're like, call your so, friends. Call, call some friends from other bands. Get something going. Yeah. So a lot
0: of us, though, in the band, we were, you know, all early twenties, you know, but a lot of us already had families and stuff. So like, we couldn't just go on the road and do whatever. And so we kind of like had like some weird like starts and stops of like, you know, getting rid of Homeboy and then bringing on another friend and this and that and, the, and we would do some touring, but it was all like sporadic.al You know, like. We go out to the west coast to come back. Go out to the east coast to come back. And but it was real start and stop, you know. Yeah. And we just couldn't get a group of guys who could go on the road at the same time. We didn't have a record label that had all this money that could like promote the shit out of us, so that wherever we went, we could have radio play or a video. We didn't have any. We never got one video, you know. Yeah. When, you know, A lot, a very few solid state, you know, era, you know, like that, that 1.0, 1. 1. 1.5 era solid state, you know, the first like 20 bands, I guess, or so had actual, like, I think, um, living sacrifice had like that one video they had reject. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't, I'm trying to remember if any training for else, utopia
1: like, had a video, but it looked yeah, more to they me probably like paid for it. I mean, think, I mean, honestly, if you watch the video, it looks like they just recorded it with a hand cam, yeah, you know, but it was a video, so. you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. But you know, what I mean, like we, we expected we're, Oh, we're going to, we're going to be in every record store, you know, uh, indie store at least or whatever. And we're going to have a video on, uh, uh, headbangers ball. That's none of that happened. Cause of course not. Why would we, we, be, why would we be the first band they do that for,
1: you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, even Zayo, who I felt like was kind of a cash cow for them, uh, kind of, but they didn't get a video until after they were no. off solid state, no. you know? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I yeah. mean, for them, it was the same thing. People in and out, you know, not being yeah, able to yeah. do tours. Well, it's hard and, yeah. because,
0: like, you, if, if you can't tell Homeboy that he's going to at least be able to, like, eat this month, like, right. why, why? No, why am I going to stick around with you, douchebags, you know? Yeah. And it's like, ugh, you know, it sucks, but that's just, man, and like, the the, the Christian metal slash hardcore punk, whatever scene in that time was so different than it became even 10, 15. You know, like once you start to get to the 2000s and 2010s, and there's actually like an ecosystem and, uh, and an economy sort of established for yeah. bands that come out of that scene, you know, not necessarily. I I, whatever. I think when I say Christian rock or metal, most people now, especially from that, they get what I'm talking about. You know? Yeah, like, totally.
1: It's not like
0: yeah. it doesn't mean you're like some preachy this and that. You know what I mean? No, because like, like most of big, the bands
1: that we're talking big, about, big. yeah, most of the bands that we're talking about, like you, you listen to them, you're not gonna get like a, rel- a religious vibe well, or anything yeah, like yeah, that. Well, it's
0: just some of the some of the stuff that they're singing about and writing about comes from kids that might have grown up in church or in this and but they're at a certain they're at a point in their lives where it's that's just that's the palette they're writing from you know that's their worldview that they sort of came up but they're dealing with the same shit everyone else is you know at, at 21 22 you know like oh i can drink now or this or that you know and anyway like i yeah anyway so like but yeah so we we really fell off the map because we just couldn't keep guys in the band we couldn't tour we couldn't do anything because there was no such thing as tour support back then. Right. Like, yeah. The label wasn't going to get us a bus and buy us on an opening slot with, I don't know, like who was big in the er- I mean, 2000, 2001. Yeah. You know I saying? mean,
1: you were stuck with touring with bands that were like you on the same exactly. level on the yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah. We we're stoked if we could open for some other shit metal band, you know? Sure. Yeah. You're like, give me, give me in with like, yeah. Because, I mean, I want to say, like, at that time, it would have been, like, what, like, the new metal bands? Like, the, you know. Well,
0: it's no kind of, like, it was, like, the, the so you got to remember, like, the whole, uh, um, like, Earth Crisis and Victory Records thing right, was yeah, really yeah. blowing up around then. Um, the uh, Trustkill thing was just starting. True, you know, yeah, so, Ferret, so we had so. all these, like, metalcore and, like, hardcore metal, punk, blah, blah, blah whatever, you know, that umbrella was really stretching out from like, you know, you had the stuff in down in Florida, you know, the East Coast thing, West Coast thing, you, have, you know, um, botch and stuff like up in, you know, the Pacific Northwest, all that stuff was going on around the time we were trying to put out our first full length, you know, but at the same time, like what if those bands wanted to play with some like Christian metal band, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Cause there was still like some kind of weird stigma with that at the time. Yeah. Whereas now it's like, I because mean, I remember joking with my friends, you know, mid 2010, 2011, I was like 78% of the bands of this genre are Christian metal bands, you know, like or they came out of that scene, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, whether, whether they're, whether they're Bible thumpers or not, it's just, right, you know, right. They, they came up out of that kind of kind of same pool.
0: Well, and I think what a lot of uh, what happened in the 2000s to the 2010s, what a lot of kids that came out of that scene, the hardcore slash amount, what a lot of them realize is like, well, yeah, I kind of, I grew up in a youth group too. And like then you have these other kids that are like the straight edge kids or this mm. and that. And they're like, well, they don't drink and smoke either. Okay. Well, so we can get along with those guys or we can go see that band and know that they're not some booze hounds. You know what I mean? So like, sure. I think I think what happened over the next 10, 15 years is the homogenization of that scene to where a lot of the guys that weren't religious, you know, in, in their, maybe like in their like outward persona, didn't have a problem with like bands that came out of that scene. Cause so very few of those bands remained preachy or, um, evangelical. Let me say that word. Very few of them were like, alter calls from stage and this and that, you know, because we were never one of those bands. Like I I, honestly, like there was maybe two or three times in our entire career as a band where we actually sort of had some sort of like, like real heavy message from stage. Right. And those couple of times probably came because we were at like a specific venue or a specific event. And there were some people that we might've seen that like, we just like our heart was maybe heavy for this or that and whatever they might've been going through. And we just like took a moment to say something, hoping to encourage them. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. Like, we were never just like, you're going to hell tomorrow. We weren't that bad. You know, like we're, if you were to
1: die tonight, where would you? Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Like it, that, that, that doesn't work, man. Like you and I both, you know, that, that never, like you got so much further with people just being real and being honest and, just be, and I think that was one of the reasons too, we were able to kind of like um, exist sort of like um, and be respected among bands that weren't like, you know, the Christian scene, because we weren't like, you know, like, like at the end of the show, like we weren't the band that was like trying to corner the other bands and like, you know, uh, get them saved or this and that, that was, we were just trying to just like be rad dudes. And like every once in a while, somebody was like, dude, why you guys don't do this or that. And like, We'd be like, no, it's all good, you know. And like they'd talk to hey, if they wanted to talk to us, hey, great, we'll talk to you about this. But we were never like the whole, you
1: know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, absolutely don't name any names. But did you see that? Were there bands out there that were cornering oh, dude, yeah. bands? Oh, trying yeah, to do that yeah, stuff? yeah.
0: For real, dude. Like, yeah. But like there was there was bands back then that like were like like intimidating about their faith and stuff, yeah. you know. And the 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 thing back looking on it, it was never like a, um they, a lot of those guys is that they were never trying to be, it was never a negative thing or it was never like a judgmental type thing. The, honestly, I'll tell you right now, the only guys that were there ever like really judgmental were the guys that were like the straight edge, like Christian guys. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the worst. And like, I was part of that scene too. I'm fully, I'm, you know, I was a dickhead dude at a certain point in my life. Cause like, I don't smoke. and I don't do this and that. And then like, but you know, once you kind of examine the whole thing, you're like, you know, it's like, it's, you know, just another religion and, you know, but like I I respect people that, um, you know, choose, I have some wonderful friends even to this day that have chosen to you know follow that lifestyle. And I 100% respect those choices and stuff like that. But like at a certain point in my life, I was just like doing certain things because it made me feel good about myself. Not because not, not for the actual, um, like reasons i said i was doing it i just did it because it made me feel better than this guy or that guy you know well at least i'm not like that
1: yeah i mean there's definitely a a difference between having a dominating mindset and just maybe wanting to share with somebody what worked for you if somebody seems like they're having a hard time or they're you know something something along those lines i've I have three cats, dude. It's the worst. <laughs> like, and I, I don't need these cats, man. Like I literally, uh, anyway,
0: yeah, I'll tell you anyway, yeah, there's, it's, they're literally, they're, they're children of the apocalypse. They're, they're demons. I, I have this picture. I sent my daughter one time, all three of these cats, they were in my bathtub, like facing each other. And like, for a moment I was like, they're plotting to kill me. And I yeah. took a picture of it. And I sent it to my daughter and she said the same thing. She's like, I think they're like trying to summon like a demon or something, dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I was like, probably I should get rid of these guys. I More than likely.
1: Him. Something I did want to touch on was uh was actually Tim from Ashley Dying being in Society's yeah. Finest.
0: Yeah. So we had we had kind of so two people. So so here's the thing. So two people that were definitely in our band at different points, but <laughs> the both individuals tend to like when I look online. People tend to um, have these; they're they're almost like mythically larger characters in the history of the, of society's finest than they actually were in real life. Okay, not not to downplay them at all. Like both of them were very important people in my life and in the life of this band. But neither one of them were on any recording or like wrote any songs that ended up you know anywhere. But so just. It's just kind of funny because anyway, so the first would be Chris McCadden, like um, who is one first of all, he's probably one of the most intelligent, creative people I've ever met on this earth. Like the, the dude, the dude just thinks differently. Like he's one of the most brilliant people I've ever known. And I, I, like, I remember meeting him when he was kind of first like new to embodiment, like he was their new singer. And like I remember like meeting him and just like being just talking about random stuff and about music or movies and things. And he just, you know, he just saw things differently than other people. Anyway, a rad dude. And I, he was the singer though. And I didn't know he played guitar. And then it was just real kind of weird how things, you know, happen and, and things come together. And and there was a point where we were going to be going on tour and we needed, um, we were going to, we, like, we, we really did need like another, a second guitar. Right. And, I didn't realize he was about to quit embodiment and stuff. And like, so he basically just ended up playing guitar in our band. So not only, and he shows up and he's phenomenal. Like he can play the shit out of the guitar. And I was like, (laughs) what? And not to disparage our vocalist, but we had this dude who was a legend in our kind of regional metal scene as a metal vocalist, you know, like, not only death metal, but then he transitioned to being like, sort of like a, you know, metal core, hardcore kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And we're just like, and he's in our band. It was so awesome. Of course it didn't, you know, he ended up actually, uh, we, one of the tours we did out to LA, uh, to the West coast, he actually got like an interview at, um, what was the name of the uh, studio? Uh, oh my God. It was an, uh, like it, it was a oh, dude, what were they called? they did basically like uh, they did album artwork and stuff like that. They did like the, a couple that like Marilyn Manson albums and like, what was the, Oh man, it'll kind of we're talking anyway. But so he ended up kind of just, he like literally after that tour, he was like, yeah, so I got that job and I'm going to, I'm going to move to LA. And we're just like, okay. I mean, like, what are you going to say? Cause like, he just, he landed his dream job in LA. So you're like, Oh, you know, (laughs) so he just, and so anyway, like later on, it was just real weird because, like, I remember talking to Tim on the internet, like, very early internet, you know, just emailing and stuff. Sure. And uh, he had sent me a, a CD of um, uh, A Life Once Lost, not Life Once Lost, the hardcore band, you know, but okay. was, he had a, a demo called A Life Once Lost. And uh, he was like, Yeah, this is basically like just me. And it's like, so he was playing guitar and screaming and everything else. And I was like, Dude, this guy's this is really good stuff i'm digging yeah. and he was like i am not sure exactly how it all worked out but like we conned him into moving out to texas and like just joining our band i remember picking up from the airport and this dude was like you know tall he was as tall as i am and like just like full sleeve tattoos and stuff i was like he looked like a, a, a hardcore like rock star yeah and i was like yes finally like that's for the job
1: you want yeah
0: yeah and like you know we started playing shows with him and he was you know a competent guitar player he was fine he was good but his whole thing was his drive and like vision and everything and we started doing shows with him and it was kind of funny cuz like looking back i can totally see that he viewed he viewed like what he was doing in our band as like an internship or like as like a learning experience in that um in metal music you know basically like he was just doing local stuff in San Diego. So he found a band that needed someone that he was the perfect fit for. And then, you know, he started going on tour with and playing with and, and it it enabled him to learn more of that and meet more people, which is brilliant for what, you know, he wanted to do with his career. Right. I totally, I totally got it later, but then like, you know, like as when I was, you know, 20, early twenties, like I remember like, you know, we're doing these shows and then he's like, goes back to you know southern california and i'm like what wait what, what about our band not realizing <laughs> in his mind his whole plan all along was to like i've got this concept for a band that's going to be like four steps ahead of where everyone else is right now and eventually like it came you know because it a lot of people don't realize as LA lay dying remember he toured a lot and for a long time in vans like back and forth for probably like what like three or four years
1: a while yeah
0: yeah, before anything really, because well, I think it was probably about three or four years before anything really finally happened. And then when, you know, Metal Blade finally caught on and like, you know, got behind him, that was when boom, you know, because, but he would put in all that work and all that, you know, effort and everything. But yeah, he, it was weird because he lived in, like my wife and I at the time, we had a house and it was so funny, dude, because. Like literally every band that you can possibly think of stayed with us. Cause we had this house that was this like kind of front area. And then there was this back like add on. It was kind of weird. Like we never went back there. It was like, it was like this, it was big. Like it was big enough to be an apartment or a house, like it was big. But like it was just me and her at the time, no kids, no nothing, and every band that you could possibly think of, you know, like self-minded, like Esso uh, um, like uh, like Extol, like any of those bands from that time period, uh, and Brothers Keeper, like any, like not just Christian bands, like any band, they would always stay with me because like they knew I had a clean house, a big old backyard, and I would always have like vegetarian food and stuff and everything. And every band was stay with it. So anyway, Tim was like one of those people that he, he lived with us for like a year while he was in the band and just he just never he was back there in that room all the time. And I like looking back, I can, it's funny because I could totally see that he was just working on a goal. You know what I mean? So yeah. like he he basically put his time in in our level of band. And then when it got to a point where he was like, he saw the vision for the next step he just went for it and like at first I was like, all called butthurt when I was like, young and then like as I look back I was like smart dude you know
1: yeah he definitely had a plan uh from yeah. day one and well, just, none of
0: us fucking had a plan
1: right I, I think it's I mean don't get me wrong those first couple of Esley dying releases were rough um yeah, just, just but, generic you know yeah. like, oh. but he Better found button. a way yeah. just,
0: just as good as anything else sure yeah Like look, dude look back at like early 18 vision stuff and like you know, whatever anything from that time period that's just like you know part of he's like cringy, but part of he was like, oh good memories, but then part of he's like, you know, yeah, and then you know as more rock kind of you know more rock and roll kind of seeped into that scene, it got better and better, yeah, you
1: know? oh yeah, totally, um so there's a uh, there's another thing I wanted to bring up uh, and also worth mentioning that tim was in um he was in another band I like called Point of recognition for a minute, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: see, that's what I think that's not cool when we first met them because we did a show in San Diego at some church. I can't remember what it was. And like, it was so weird because there's a picture of us at this church, and there's like some of the guys from No and Victim in the crowd or on the stage yeah. or whatever. And then like all the guys from Noise Ratchet are like in the crowd. At some, and and then like half the guys that kind of became uh, as LA Dying were there. It was so weird. Like, I look, at, I, I'll try to find the picture. It's on my Facebook or my whatever, but. It's so strange when I see that because I look back and I'm like, first of all, we're all fucking babies, you know, sure. like, yeah. twenty two years old and stuff. And then other times, like, think about how many guys in that crowd went on to be in you know established bands that did something. Yeah, uh, tell me about Evanescence. okay, so that's another thing that's really so that's another mind rage connection that may, people might not know. Like, um, well, John LaComf- right? Yeah, yeah yeah yeah, and living sacrifice though so too, yeah, because Rocky was also so here's the yeah. thing, well, the touring, yeah, touring guy, he was the touring drummer, um, so it was so weird, okay, so um, when I got married in 99 um I was in san uh, San Antonio, and it was so weird because we were on we were on the the, the river walk in San Antonio, which is this, like you know like vacation area, and I remember my wife at the time, my brand new wife, we come across John lecompte and his fiance who I guess had just gotten married literally that same week as well. And like, so we're all in San Antonio at the time. And like, um, it was just real weird and talking to them. And like, uh, it was just a strange, like, you know what I mean? Like, like when you meet someone and you're not, you know, you're on vacation, you're like, how am I seeing you here?
1: Right. So, right.
0: Yeah. So fast forward just a little bit longer. I, uh, like I was kind of out of like the metal scene. I was doing like rock music and stuff. Uh, you know, and uh, I get a phone call from like John Lecomte and he's like, hey, man, what's going on? You know, this I was like, oh, man, just to uh, work on my band, blah, blah, blah you know, because, you know, that's what you always say. Um, here's my project that I'm excited yeah, about. Right. And so he's like, well, here's the deal, man. Like, so I'm in this band. It's some people from Little Rock and uh, we got signed to Roadrunner and I was just like, <laughs> oh, OK, well, that's that's not like that's not that's a big deal roadrunners yeah okay so tell me more and he was like yeah so uh i'm playing guitar and you know rocky right i was like yeah i know Rocky. well so he's playing drums i know rocky he played drums i was like wait the guitar you know, anyway and he was like yeah he's playing dr- and you know blah, blah blah and he told me that the you know who's sing- a girl singer i was like You know, okay and he's like so <laughs> and here's where he lost me like at the time on the phone he's like so Just imagine it's like Sarah McLaughlin meets Nine Inch Nails. And like, okay, (laughs) yeah. so in my mind, like literally at that moment, I was just like, like, you know, and I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That sounds like absolute dog shit on top of like cat shit
1: on fire.
0: (laughs) Sarah McLaughlin meets Nine Inch Nails. Like, yeah, I love Sarah McLaughlin just like anyone else. And of course I love Nine Inch Nails, but those two things, the twain shall never meet. Like, what are you talking about? Right. And I was like, oh, yeah. Was like, yeah, well, we're going out to LA to record this album and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm sure we're going to need a bass player. And so I was like, well, if I think of anyone, I'll give you a call because your band sounds like fucking dog shit, stupid. <laughs> and you're probably a fucking idiot, you hillbilly. I love you, John. Go back just, to you know, Arkansas. Like, yeah. I was an idiot. Yeah, I was an idiot. You know, like, you know, he, he was doing his best to explain something to me. And he wasn't saying, like, you know, whatever. It was just talking two guys. You know talking about their music and stuff right and in my mind i was like this is fucking stupid and about eight months later or so the the sound the spider-man song you know with the wake me oh god yeah dude, I, remember, I remember seeing the video and be like i just want to sit at my computers like this
1: <laughs>
0: oh I, I was just like i was like my stomach hurt like i wanted like i you know what i mean it's just like one of those things like you're just like,
1: oh, oh, oh. <laughs> let the like, butt hurt flow through yeah, you. I yeah. mean, in
0: reality, in reality, of course, like, you know, nothing ever works out the way it should and this and that. And things aren't what they always seem, of course. you know, And looking back now, we know, you know, like, of course, it it wasn't the perfect situation you thought it might be. In and a certain
1: scenario, that. you may have dodged a bullet on that.
0: Of, of co- yeah, of yeah. course. like And like, yeah, no, absolutely. Especially like how many of those guys, like, You know, weren't stoked at the end of their time in that particular situation. Oh, 100%. But in the moment, you're just like, what? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like when you see, like, you know, when you see the girl you knew in high school and you're just like, she was a nerd. And then all of a sudden at 19, you turn around and she's like, you know, 36, 26, 36. Like, you know, like, and you're just like, wait, wait, what? What the fuck? You know, you know what I mean? It's like, no, but you don't realize that, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? You know, the whole deal. Yep. Like in the moment, in the moment I was just like sick to my stomach, like thinking that, Oh, I turned down, I didn't turn down shit. I didn't get offered to be in this and that, but I just remember like the conversation thinking like, Oh, this guy's a moron. And then like, just realizing that like, okay, his way of explaining what he was, the the project that he was involved in, just he was trying his best to explain it to me. And looking back,
1: Okay, I can see why he would say Sarah McLaughlin meets nine inch Nails, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but I could also understand with no context how that would how that would sound, you know, on paper.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's just one of those things where you're like, when someone says that to you, you know, you're just like there'd be someone's like, Yeah, it's like Beastie Boys meets uh, Justin Bieber, and you'd be like, Well, listen, whatever drugs you're on,
1: look I love you, but you need to stop doing them right now, you know. <laughs> right. Oh man. Uh, so were you part of? Were you part of um, the kind of second incarnation of Society's Finest? Um, okay. So the point
0: where Josh and I kind of like stopped making music together, and I just kind of had to walk away. Um, I'm trying to think of the exact year. I was already married, so it was probably already 2001 ish, 2002. I'm trying to remember exactly when. You know what? It was okay. So it was before my mother passed. So it was. It was. It was uh, I'm sorry, anyway. So there were some personal things that were kind of going on. Um, uh, at the time, the lineup of the band was Chad on drums still, just phenomenal fucking drummer. Like, I can't imagine, like, he's one of those guys, like, when you meet in life, like, if you get him involved in a, especially if you're in a metal band, like, if you get involved in a band, like, whatever is going on, you'll find a way to make it work. You know what I mean? Sure. And he wasn't, he wasn't the problem. This guy was, Chad was never the problem. Um, and then, uh, on guitar we have okay so eli was on guitar for a good while um eli he was from san diego part like I, I want he might have been in noise ratchet at one point even i don't know but he ended up being in one of my other bands like down the line because we stayed good friends and he actually left before i did he was um fan- he came on board about the same time tim was on board so tim and eli were, they're were both from san diego and then tim went home eli stayed And then Eli eventually left. And um, there was just some stuff kind of going on in the band. Uh, Because I, like I said, I came out of that straight edge, like, you know, scene, you know, from all that. And like some of the other guys in the band, number one, were never part of that. They were never subscribed to that way of life anyway. So it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay for me to push my beliefs on them anyway. Right. But maybe some of the other guys in the band who at one point, like, um, were kind of part of that scene. And then all of a sudden no longer were it created like a schism, you know, because, oh, well, you know, you know, Johnny was, and I were straight edge together. And then now Davey's part of the crew and he was never straight edge, but you know, now Johnny's not straight edge. You know what I mean? Sure. Saying? Yeah. Yep. That whole little
1: semantics. Yep.
0: But the, you got to remember like being a 21, 22 year old isn't much different from being a fucking 12 year old. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's not a whole lot of uh, maturation that goes on, you know, when it comes to clicks and bullshit like that. And uh, I just kind of was at a point to where I had gone through some heavy stuff in my life and things. And um, I just was just like, I thought this band was kind of one thing. And then like, all of a sudden now I'm the only guy that is, uh, you know, that, that kind of goes along with whatever vibe, you know, and, all you guys are drinking and smoking and partying and, you know, in reality, looking back on it, I was just butthurt. And like, I felt like I didn't belong. And instead of just like, instead of like looking back, instead of figuring out, okay, what do we have in common? What do we still have that we can do? What do we have that that like clicks still? Instead of being that way, I was just a kind of a dick and was just like, well you're not straight edge anymore and you drink and you smell and blah 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 and you swear too much you know whatever instead of realizing okay first of all do we all still like the same kind of music and make good music are we all still fairly good people at heart okay instead of i was just worried about shit that didn't matter
1: you know what i mean sure those intangible things yep
0: like a lot of us get that way a lot of us you know when we're young well, a lot of us getting, you know what I mean, dude. Well, oh, I used like,
1: to be a youth group kid. I totally understand. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful though, that I was able not super long after that to be able to kind of like see how I was being like, not cool and like repair bridges with people that were friends of mine, you know, like, and be able to sort of, especially with Josh, like, you know, be able to be there for him over the last 20 years and like be friends, through hell shit and relationship stuff and everything. And like, even as uh, uh, like literally as most recently as like this last month, like, you know, talking about music and saying like, you know, let's, you know, do this or that. Maybe we could, and I'm, I'm there for him with whatever he might need as far as, you know, doing something music wise, I'll 100% support him, you know, you know, because he's been there for me and, you know, I've been there for him and, and, Fucked up situations, you know. And you know, the guy's been, you know, I, I we both literally it's it's crazy because we both literally by, been by each other's side in the hospital. Like when the other, you know, and like it's when that stuff happens, all the other like silly things that were important when you're 19,
1: 20, none of that stuff matters anymore, you know. Yep, hundred percent. Those types of connections, most people fall off after a few years, you know. Our, a lot of our friendships and our lives oh, are just a revolving yeah. cast of people. Mm-hmm. you know and so it's those it's those people that stick around that ultimately become the most important indeed that's where i'm at you know with with what we do and um you know i i, I wouldn't i wouldn't do this if i wasn't doing it with my friends minus tonight where it is just me doing it without my <laughs> friends but yeah, uh, they don't like you they don't like you think you're an asshole they, Well, i mean i mean you were talking shit about him earlier that's you know, so. true i was yeah yeah before before we went live man i was i was not yeah off you're the like that, that joe guy is a dick yeah, 100%. He would he would agree with that. But uh we're all dicks, man. <laughs> um so what's the craziest what's the craziest story from that era that you've got? Dude, uh Sean Ingram's penis? Explain.
0: Sean <laughs> <Shawn>, the original <laughs> vocalist from Zeo probably is the most hung guy you'll ever see in your life. Yeah.
1: That's not Sean Ingram.
0: Yeah, dude. Not Sean, I'm wrong wrong Sean. Ingram is from Colas. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was like I was like no, Sean Ingram is uh, not in not
1: in Zeo. Uh,
0: hold on, hold on, hold on. Jonas? Yeah, Sean Jonas, thank you. I'm looking it up. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, dude, like I remember like being in Little Rock one time and he would, his whole thing that he would do is he would come out of the bathroom and air dry. Jesse did that too, which is <laughs> a lot grosser because Jesse was never as like attractive as Sean. Dude's like, from Virginia, man. Oh, yeah. But like, yeah, like Sean would just walk out butt neck and you would be like, what
1: the, what is that? <laughs> okay.
0: No, but, um, wow. other crazy, so other crazy stories though. <laughs> The, the drinking gasoline thing was crazy that was weird um uh some of the some of the coolest like strangest stories was when i was okay yeah do you remember the band well i don't know you remember the band nailed promise i do yes on so i i toured with them as a bass player cuz the bass player just he couldn't go on the road i was already friends with the guys and like i i basically i did a bunch of tours with those guys like uh we so they're on rescue records along with NIV and POD. Right. And so we would do a bunch of these tours like together, and we did this one thing where it was like it wasn't we weren't on tour with Living Sacrifice, but like somehow it worked out to where like for like a month or two in a row, almost every other show we did was POD, NIV, and Nailed Promise and Living Sacrifice. Okay. Somehow it was just this weird thing. And what was hilarious though is we play these shows sometimes, literally in the middle of—I mean, just nowhere. Like, yeah. oh, listen, not to disparage where you live, but you—you you know, you're in the you're in the Midwest, kind of. And sometimes there'll be this random concert, especially back then, and and. In your heart, you you know that like there's gonna be no one there. Yeah, it's and, in
1: First Baptist Church of whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or some skate park or something or whatever. And it was so funny because we would do these shows with these four bands who of which a lot of them the individuals would go on to do really big things. Right. You know, run a, a huge hardcore record label or be a massive pop rock band or run a merchandising company out of Nashville that, you know, does shit for Van Halen and right. stuff, you know, but like, it's just funny. Cause we would do these shows and like of the 20 people in attendance, all 20 of which were in the four, four bands. And it's just so man, it was just, it was such a rad time because like you realize, I remember too thinking of like realizing the ridiculousness of it in the moment because I remember being like, especially with POD and stuff like, like I remember knowing at the very least thinking that Sonny is going to be a star somehow, let alone the whole band and the whole band managed to just fucking blow up. And, you know, with living sacrifice, you know, and Bruce, like Bruce, like, you know, literally willed that band to be a rock metal juggernaut and, you know, all that stuff. And anyway, but like, it was just being, being in awe of some of those guys at the time, you know, just was so rad. And I, and, I think one of the really cool things, too, was, and I tell people, I was actually telling a friend of mine this story, and they're probably listening right now. I was telling them this story yesterday. Um, The coolest story I have, period, of touring slash being on the road slash whatever. The absolute best moment of my music life was in 1994, August slash September. Because at that moment, I was on tour with the band in England. Okay. While Oasis and Blur were battling it out for the number one spot on the British record chart with Roll With It and Country House. If you remember, because Blur pushed the album back two weeks on this and that. And I remember being in England while that shit was going on. And I was already a fan of, you know, blur and Oasis both, you know, cause like, I, and I remember like being in the, and like how insane people were about making sh- like, dude, everywhere you went, you saw a poster for that shit or like you heard something. And like, I've never seen anything that insane, whether it be like sports rivalries or a movie coming out or a TV, nothing when, except for being in England in like you know August September of nineteen ninety four, and like the Oasis, blew, like no, dude, nothing will explain to people, especially here in the states, how like rabid their fan bases were about making sure that their band was number one. Like I can't think of anything in America that's been like that.
1: Not since then, no. Well, because we're a bunch of pussies and we don't care, you know. Sure, yeah, hundred <laughs> uh, percent. We don't. We we just kind of do what we do, especially now. But yeah, th- yeah, but
0: but music fans over there, like, it's a fucking, like, it was life or death. It still is, you know? Like, how they do with the Christmas number ones over there and stuff, you know? But like, "Raising Against the Machine a couple of years ago. You know you know what I'm talking about. I'm like, but over there, man, like, dude, and I remember, like, but that's the thing, though, too, man. Like, not to be Mr. Old fucking Nostalgia Guy, like, but in 1994, 95, like, with, you know, Oasis and Blur and all that stuff. Like, of course, in America with Nirvana and all that, you know, all everything that was going on. Dude, listen, I'm like, I've got a 15 year old daughter, and she even admits that, like, you know, like, you've got, like, when I was a teenager, you know, of course, you know, all that stuff. And then when my dad is a teenager with, like, Led Zeppelin and Queen, this and that. And, like, she looks at the shit that her and her teenage friends have, and she's like, she, like, you know, laments the fact that they don't have this something that they can, this
1: zeitgeist, you know? They don't have the pressure, I think, is really, I think music back then was was released under a large amount of pressure yeah, and yeah, expectation. Yeah. But there's but there's no pressure the or expectation time, though, to me. But also at the
0: same time, it's like you literally were reinvent. You reinventing the future. Like with like, you know, think about it with like punk rock or thrash or, you know, grunge. Fill in the blank. Every five, ten years, you could be a part of something new that like was changed, that would literally change the world. And now, like you have got like so, like well, okay, it's so a good example. I look at like little peep, you know, a few years ago. Yeah, that that dude, if he was like even fifteen, twenty years ago, literally would have been if you know, not necessarily a superstar, you know, fucking pop star, but would have changed the world.
1: Yeah, totally. But
0: because no one gives a shit about anything now, it's like, oh great, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What, what I Does mean, you sense? don't
1: you don't see that kind of thing because nobody buys anything anymore.
0: But nobody cares. It feels right. like that's the thing. It feels like 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 well like so like okay like a band I don't like at all. One hundred geeks. Are you familiar with them? No. They're like what's called hyper pop. Okay. And like like I th- I'm not sure one one of the guys or one of the people in the band is like trans and like this and then like I remember like I'm not a big fan of them, but I remember like like kind of sort of doing a deep dive into their stuff and really walking out of it with like a, a, a like a huge respect for them as artists because. They're legitimately doing something that's dangerous, you know, like that's different. Like music. If you ever listen to them, you may not like them, but you'll probably walk away with the same, uh, you know, like thinking at the very least, like those they're definitely doing something fucking different. Like they're not trying to be Justin Bieber or Billy Islet, what, whatever, whatever. Yeah. yeah. They're doing something absolutely crazy and weird, which is there's there's something to be said for, but but now no one cares like Okay, think about though if that happened in like 1980 or 1990 or even 2000, that would have you know when someone's doing something literally dangerous and crazy with the music, people like, oh my god! And now it's like, oh, okay, so you cut yourself in half on stage and ate a fucking uh, colony of bees. Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand. Like, but seriously though, like how that's kind of where we're at, right?
1: yeah i mean is music dangerous nowadays i mean it can be i don't think it can be without live shows
0: like seriously if sophie is not dangerous or if like fucking i don't know like like 100 gigs or or fucking i don't know if like what is dangerous
1: well the band that i care the most about right now i don't know if it fits the definition of dangerous is uh the armed i have not heard that uh just check it out it's like it's like noise it's like noise rock hardcore. It's a, it's a lot of I different it things, it right, and we'll almost every single one of the members of the band is like completely unknown okay. and completely isolated. Like, um, they're they're a collective. And they've okay. got this whole thing of like, yeah, if you show up at a show with a guitar, you're in the band, sort of thing. Oh wow, okay. Uh, so it's, oh, I'm gonna check it out now. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely. But, but I guess what the way cool like, like, that seems like,
0: are they actually affecting society slash culture?
1: I don't know. I wouldn't be the best person to ask. I'm so I'm so uh, no, but stuck in my I own guess, shit. But. But, no, but here's the thing: is like,
0: uh, thing back 10, 20, 30. I was talking to someone last night about David Bowie and like how he fucking busted his ass until he was able to put together. The Ziggy Stardust thing—no one gave a shit about it because he put out Hunky Dory, which is an amazing album in retrospect. Nobody fucking cared.
1: I think it's because back then people were shocked by things. People would listen to music exactly. and something crazy and, would happen. And now, to shock and by now nothing shocks anyone. Now people go into it expecting a shock and are disappointed when they don't receive one. Yeah. I think it's yeah, yeah. kind of the thing, and you become desensitized to it, it over sucks, time. Man. So yeah definitely one of those things but um we're old this sucks yeah i feel super old i got gray hair <laughs> everywhere so but uh joel i hate to cut you short man but uh we no, are dude no we're good i, I have it's a feeling i'm talking man absolutely well and i have a feeling that there's a lot more so um you know
0: well you and i will stay in touch i, I, I
1: when
0: when my brain works and i can remember other stories i'll make sure to send them to you yeah
1: i was gonna say don't, don't be a stranger and you know we can absolutely do a part two anytime you want so. ah, hey man it's did best of
0: luck and i hey thanks for just taking the time to talk to me and like yeah, man. it was it was wonderful connecting with you and just telling you some silly stories from just weird random scene that happened to happen when you and our teens and 20s you know 100 hey here's to being old men upright above ground still you know what i mean cheers on right, take care brother <laughs> Yep, you too this has been the Discuss metal podcast with joel bailey of society's finest Presented by DiscussMetal.com.